the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. We've actually made it to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart. You need only to call us to by the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630-KLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just at the call banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. It's a weekend church getting ready to go again. I hope you have a great, great weekend. Find somebody that looks like they need prayer or they need some comfort or some exhortation and be used by God to do it. We got some neat stuff here. Um, I'm doing something I haven't done in 27 years here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. We're actually going to have a guest musician on uh, Sunday here. Um, I just don't do that. And and yet, this is a good friend of mine. His name is Kevin Green. And while you're, you may not be familiar with his music, and there's a lot of it, he is the guy that wrote our theme song to this radio program. Uh, many, 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 many years ago, I said, hey, I need to date the, the, the theme song to our radio show. It's called The Word to Stand On. And so he's the one who did that. I keep get calls uh, asking who who is it that made the song. So he's going to be here. Now, I'm sure he's not going to do that song because it's going to be worship. But uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Kevin. He's a dear, dear friend. But, you know, we only get to see each other maybe once a year. So he's in town, and I'm going to take advantage of that. So if you are interested, we have three services on Sunday every week, 8.30, 10.15, and 11.59. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await any phone calls. Um, this one is from Dewey. It says, uh, Hi, Pastor, can you explain what, what do people mean by my truth is not the same as your truth? Uh, I get this supply many times during conversation in certain deep topics, especially when I talk about the Christian faith. I understand its concept and how we all come from many different but I feel like it loosely uh, use uh, is feel like it's used loosely on many issues. Thank you, Dewey. Dewey, this is uh, th- this is the most dishonest responses uh, in a conversation that we can ever get. Well, you know, uh, you have your truth and I have my truth, and basically what they're saying is, look, my truth allows me to keep sinning. 
My truth allows me to feel good about going someplace better when I'm dead, even though I've never lived a minute for Jesus Christ. My truth allows me to do what I want, when I want. And all you have to do do is open up the Old Testament, uh, especially read Jeremiah. Jeremiah um, uh, is amazing, chapter 7 in particular. But, but that's what the people have been doing from the beginning of time. This is nothing new. The enemy has been using this. Did God really say? And it just allows people to sound spiritual, to appear like they're smart, and they come up with a different truth. Now, in the conversation, the only thing that we can do do in response is to simply say truth by its definition is mutually exclusive. There can't be two things that contradict one another and both of those things be true. So it's either true or it's not. And then I like to ask people, what are you going to do if your truth isn't really true? Are you willing to gamble eternity on it? Because that's exactly what you're doing. But Dewey, this is just a dishonest cop-out. We get it a lot. Um, it's a matter of of uh, people who um, don't want to have to deal with what they know is true. I wish I could say something smarter, but pretty much that's just it. Thank you for the question, Dewey. Here is a question from Anonymous. Um, why is it the church people act so ugly? I've been disappointed every time I've tried church. You know, you're going to church for all the wrong reasons. You don't go to church because of the people. You go to church because that's where Jesus is. You go to church because the church is full of people just like you. You know, you're disappointed in them. Probably when you've tried church, there have been people that are disappointed in you. So without more specifics, I can't tell you what you mean by by church people being ugly. But the truth of the matter, it isn't. Let me challenge you, Anonymous. I don't know where you live in San Antonio, but you can come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and I promise you, you're going to find a whole bunch of church people who act just like Jesus. Now, you're going to find some who are probably not so kind. Uh, flesh is ugly. It doesn't matter whether you're a professing Christian or not. Our flesh stinks. But remember, we go there for Jesus. We go there to be equipped to do ministry to the people who are acting ugly. To let our light so shine before men and women that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You see, we're supposed to be directionals for Jesus. People should see us, they should see our joy, should see our peace. One our Jesus. You know, I've always wondered about people who come to church and end up offended. Do they think people are perfect in church? I've been saved 31 years. And believe me, there's nothing perfect about me except Christ in me, the hope of glory. So um, I think you need to be uh, more honest. What are you looking for when you go to church? When people say hi to you, that happens at every church I know. If you come to our church and people don't recognize you, they won't leave you alone. It's that simple. And I'm sure the same thing is true at a lot of other churches in town. So maybe you need to reevaluate what your goals are. Why are you going? Are you going there to get saved? If by being ugly to you, you mean they're telling you that living with your boyfriend, living with your girlfriend is sin? That's not ugly. That's loving. You see, the people here want you in heaven. And I think that's something that we really need to focus on. We come to church for Jesus. We come to learn about who he is and what he's done for us. And then we can begin the process that begins the moment you get saved of becoming more like him every single day. But don't be impatient, Anonymous, with people who aren't just like Jesus yet. Their work's in process. And I would challenge you to have as much patience with them as God has had patience with you. I think these are defense mechanisms that people use. Well, you know, church is full of cliques or, well, church people are oh so judgy. I think those are defense mechanisms. I think sometimes when the Holy Spirit starts convicting somebody of their own sin, they're looking for ways out instead of looking for ways in. So I hope that 
answers your question. Here's a question from Sandy about John MacArthur. Uh, she asks, John MacArthur talks about the attack on the Bible. What does he mean by that? Um, Sandy, I, I talk about this as well. The Bible is under attack uh, as in no other time in history, and the attack uh, is more insidious than in the past because this is an attack that comes from within. Now, all these things have happened to some measure throughout the history of the church. But the Bible is under attack. Professing Christians, lots of Christian churches won't teach the Bible. I won't name the church, but just give you an example. Um, I have run into a whole bunch of people in my life. Um, and I'm not talking just a few. I'm talking about dozens of people uh, in my life who go to a really big church in town. And they're living with somebody they're not married to. And when I ask them, one, where do you go to church? And two, do they know that you're living with somebody that you're not married to? Um, the answer is they don't really care. No, they don't say anything. Sometimes they'll say, no, they don't know. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. There are churches that don't tell professing Christians what the Bible says. Did God really say it was Satan's first lie in the Garden of Eden? And it's a lie he's been telling from the very beginning. And by the way, that's why Jesus, when he was being tempted in the wilderness, that's why Jesus is always uh, responding to the devil's attacks by, it is written. He just tells them what the Bible says. And in the Bible, well, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus doesn't care about this. Jesus never talked about homosexuality, so it must be okay. Um, the Bible is under attack. Oh, you can't take it literally. Well, it's not perfect. It's a book of principles, or it's to be taken as an allegory. Whatever it is, those are the attacks that John MacArthur is talking about. You know, the Bible says that there will be before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, speaking of the great tribulation, uh, there will be first a great falling away. And Sandy, I believe that we're in that period of time right now where that great falling away has already occurred. Wouldn't it be nice to think that uh, people get saved, we teach the Bible, um, and the world would sort of see how wonderful we are in Christ and want our Jesus and everybody gets saved, but that's not what's going to happen. In the last days, there's going to be a great falling away, uh, an apostasy. Apostasy is the Greek word. And literally, it's a falling away from the Bible. And what we're going to see in increasing measure from this point forward is people challenging the veracity of the Bible. And we see all the time. I was listening to uh, some religion editor uh, just yesterday. Or maybe it was today. Um, but but he, he was talking about... Um, you know, there wasn't Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and, and there wasn't a snake that came up and, came up and tempted them. Uh, Jesus, he didn't walk on water, and Jesus didn't pull a coin out of a fish's mouth. And he was just, just trashing the Bible, the Word of God, uh, and, and all the while professing that the Bible has some value for us, but you've got to take it in context, and you've got to be realistic about it. That's the kind of attack that uh, Dr. MacArthur is talking about. And he is absolutely right. Uh, I have people look at me all the time and say, you don't really believe that, do you? And when I tell them, yeah, I believe it with all of my heart, they look at me like I've got a third eye in the middle of my forehead or something. But that's because the Bible is under attack. I once heard Bill Maher, and I'm not a Bill Maher fan, but uh, I, I once heard Bill Maher uh, on an interview on a on a talk show, he was the the one being interviewed, and um, um, he was asked, "Well, what do you think about Christians?" You say the Bible is the Word of God, and so arrogantly, he responded by saying, "Let me tell you something. God did not write a, the Bible, and if He did, it certainly wouldn't be filled with that kind of hate." So. Cindy, that's what he's talking about, and all you've got to do is look around. We've got churches that refuse to tell anybody that they're in sin. Uh, we've got what they call good news only churches. We want people to leave here positive and pumped up. And as I said at the beginning, we've got churches that don't tell people that are living in sin and are living a life condemned to an eternity in torment. We don't have people who will tell them that what you're doing is wrong, you need to repent. 
And those are people who don't know Jesus. They claim to be Christians. A whole new progressive Christian way. But they're not Christians at all, and they're certainly not progressive. But that's the attack on the Bible. It's on its integrity. So, Sandy, that's best I can do there. Hey, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Philip. Uh, Pastor Ron, do you think Ananias and Sapphira are in hell? Um, you know, Philip, I've I've gone back and forth on this over the years. Um, and, and I think as I've grown in, the, in my knowledge of, of both the Lord and of the Bible, I think I've kind of settled on the conclusion that they probably were real Christians who fell into the trap of Satan and paid an enormous price for it. The Apostle John says there is a sin that leads unto death. And this sin in particular was, was heinous because uh, th- this was God's brand new church. It was holy and it was pure. And this attack from the inside, God was giving a once forever statement about this is how I feel about hypocrites in the church. Somebody who says one thing and does something else, this is how I feel about it. Now, in the past, I thought, well, they were probably never really saved, but I don't think there's any warrant for that. So, yeah, I do think that we will see them in heaven. However, um, they are a a testimony uh, forever that serves uh, to, to share God's heart and mind on duplicitous Christians people that say there's something but live something else completely. They lied to God. They took it lightly. They conspired together to do it. And both of them paid uh, with their lives. So um, I tend now to think that they're probably in heaven. Uh, I think they uh, are probably um, without reward. But at the same time, being in heaven and being with Jesus, uh, I I think that's where they're going to be. So I, I hope that's the case. You know, I wonder, you know, people, we go to heaven, we're in the presence of the Lord. I wonder how many of us, when we go to Ananias and Sapphira, if they're there and say, well, what were you thinking? You know, they said that they sold their land for so much and gave it all to the, to the, to the, the apostles, when actually they sold it for double that and kept half of it for themselves. You know, it would have been very generous, very generous of them to give half of everything they had to the apostles. And everybody would have praised them just like they praised Barnabas. Oh, this is wonderful. God loves you so much. But, but you know, they wanted to take credit for more than they did, and that makes them like a whole bunch of Christians these 1990 years later. Thank you very much for the question. Here is a question from Raymond. Uh, it's a personal question. How long have you and Paula been married? And do you have times where you argue, argue loudly? Uh, I'm laughing, Raymond, because I can't be loud. Bless Paula's heart. She's got a beautiful voice and she's got some volume when she wants to crank it up. But no, she doesn't use it to argue with me. Uh, we have been married. In fact, next month will be our 50th wedding anniversary. We've, we've been together for 52 and a half years. But next uh, September, September 16th, we will be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. So we've been there a long time. And Raymond, honestly, the truth is that we don't argue. We don't argue. That doesn't mean that we agree with each other. It doesn't mean that we don't hurt each other's feelings from time to time. But we just realize that to argue, uh, every argument is from the flesh. Every single one. And um, we've realized that that nothing gets accomplished in our flesh. So if there's something that we need to talk about, that's what we do. Um, We sit down and we we talk about it from the Lord's perspective. We don't want our prayers to be hindered. And we certainly don't want to, to, you know, treat each other in an unkind way. So honestly, we just don't argue. Um, Paula and I have agreed together to agree with God. If she wants something um, and I want something else, um, the Word of God tells us principally um, how to solve that problem. 
And we have both agreed to agree with the word. And that keeps us from having to argue. You know, Raymond, um, um, it's hard for people sometimes to, to, to believe that we don't argue. Uh, I've had other pastors say, oh, come on, you're just human. But but I always respond by asking uh, them, I said, well, how would you explain to Jesus that you yelled, you raised your voice at the woman that you promised to honor, to love, to cherish? How would you explain that to the Lord? Is there ever, ever an excuse for flesh? I know if I let my flesh go, I have a lot to ask God to forgive me for. And then, obviously, then I've got to ask people to forgive me as well. So, Raymond, I'm in a lifelong war against my own flesh. And I think if that's the principle that we take in our homes... Um, the power in our marriages and the the power and the witness of our marriages would be significant. And I think that's what we need to do. We need always to remember that somebody's watching. Here's another thought, Raymond, and I talk to my church about this all the time. For husbands and wives that argue and and, and argue loudly, um, um, what kind of things have the children that heard their mom and their dad say to or about one another? Do you think that makes the children feel secure? Do they do they know that mom and dad adore each other? Do they do they know that Jesus that you talk about has the power to transform you to change you? Now, if I'm arguing with Paul, if I'm yelling, believe me, God is going to put a a, a spotlight on that, and. Again, since I can't explain it to God, all I can do is repent. We just find that it's better not to put ourselves in that position in the first place. So, Raymond, uh, no, we, we honestly just don't argue. Again, I know I drive Paula crazy sometimes. I'm a very difficult person uh, to be around, and she shows remarkable restraint. Um, but But that's out of love and reverence for God and what he's done. And the result is, she's my best friend. So, Raymond, I hope that answers your question. We've got a question from Reagan. Um, Another personal one. How do you and Paula encourage one another, especially when things get hard? Reagan, this isn't a fair question to ask me because I am married literally, to the world's greatest encourager. Uh, it's Paula's gift. She is rarely ever down. Um, she is... Um, um, she's the Christian I want to be when I grow up. Uh, she wakes up in a, in a, in, with a heart for the Lord. Uh, and she, she's just with him all day long. Um, so uh, if I'm down... Or if things, if we're in a particular trial, um, Paula is always there. Um, she's not down very much, so I'm not sure how much encouragement I am to her. Um, but the thing is, Reagan, we have been through so much together, and we've been through trials. First Corinthians four two says it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful, and those tests and trials are painful. They're difficult. They stretch you out. I always use the example. I'm, I'm betraying my age a little bit here, but when I grew up, there was a, a a toy called Stretch Armstrong, and you just stretch him out. And 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 there's a lot of times when Paul and I both feel like we're on that that stretching rack, and God is stretching us to the end, and it gets really really hard. But we remember. I don't know if you listened to the show yesterday, but Paula was talking about some of her God stories on Wednesday night. I got to share some of my God stories in conjunction with our study in Second Kings chapter four. And um, you know, the the truth is, you remember how good God has been. You remember all the difficult things, some of them seemingly impossible things that God has delivered you through, and then you've seen the fruit on the other side of it, and then, and I hope this doesn't sound discouraging to anybody, but Reagan, you get to the place where you actually expect the trials. You expect the hard things. And what we've learned to do is tuck in closer to Jesus during the trials and the tests of life than at any other time. 
And that's when you see the power of God. Uh, I don't want to have to retake tests and trials, so uh, I, I try to learn what I can from them uh, at the beginning. Uh, but but it, it, again, it's not really fair to ask me because uh, Paula just it continually pours herself out. Now, in your marriage, Reagan, uh, and I'm assuming you're writing this, asking the question because you are, uh, if you're not the married to the encourager, you be the encourager. And, uh, you know, if I'm walking in the Spirit, Paul and I, we're literally tripping over one another to uh, support and encourage each other, to serve one another. And uh, I know I get the better end of that by far. But um, um, when things are hard, that's when we press in all the more to Jesus. So, Regan, I hope that answers your question. I don't want to sound... Uh, like that's just a super spiritual answer, but that's that's really what it's like in, in our home. Uh, Paula is with me no matter what we do, uh, no matter what's going on. Uh, we're there shoulder to shoulder, and we're trying to find God's purpose in each and every trial. Hey, you can hear the music. We've got 30 minutes left in our week. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the last half hour of our week, 340-9585. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I um I'm still thinking Hi. about I'm still thinking about Wednesday night study. It it really was so good. And I'm curious about how do you when you, when you said that we have to empty ourselves, that we're vessels and that we need to empty ourselves. And I'm curious just what process and how how do we do that? And how do we do it if if like trials are never ending really Really not very good at all. Uh, how do you empty yourself and, yeah. and be able to focus on emptying yourself when you're, is, nothing gets better? So I'm just going to get off the radio and yeah. listen, and thanks again for Wednesday night study. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. That's very kind of you. You know, Paul says that God has poured out his treasure, his Holy Spirit, into jars of clay. Now, jars of clay don't have any value at all. If you pour something in and they spring a leak, the, the, the whatever they pour in comes out. Um, but, but just, we're, we're jars of clay. Uh, the Bible study in 2 Kings chapter 4 was about the woman um, who had nothing. Um, she had just a tiny, tiny bit of oil and and he, uh, Elisha told her to go get jars from everywhere and not not just a few. And the result was that the, the, the little tiny bit of oil kept pouring and filled jar after jar after jar until the jars ran out. Well, the same thing is true for us. And I think, Cindy, when we're in the middle of a trial or when we're going through something that's really, really difficult, our tendency is to think only about us, thinking about our pain. We think about what, what we need, whatever the, the nature of the trial is. And the way that we empty ourselves is to offer our bodies, and I'm not trying to sound spiritual here with just scripture. I'll, I'll make it real in a moment. But we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And the King James Version of Romans 12.1 says this is our reasonable service. The NIV says it's our spiritual act of worship or, or literally our genuine worship. And so what we do is we say, Lord, you've got me. Uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. 
So the way you empty yourself is simply to realize it's not about you. Now, Cindy, I know you come here to church, so you've heard me say this, but I'm very direct in telling our, our people all the time, you've got to get over you. It's not about your circumstance, not about how you feel. It's not about what's going on. You simply say, Lord, how can I bring honor and glory to you? And, and I want to be emptied so that you can fill me with your spirit. One of the things I said in the Wednesday night Bible study is if a pot is already full or a jar is already full, you can't fill it up anymore. If you try to pour more in, it just spills out and it gets wasted. Well, if our bodies, our clay jars are filled with us, then God can't pour himself out into us. And so it's really a decision that you've got to make. Lord, I know I'm going through something difficult, but empty me of me. Now, that always begins, Cindy, and I obviously don't know um, what you're referring to, but it begins by saying, Lord, you know my heart. Test me. Prove if there's any unclean thing in my heart, if there's any anything that I'm doing, uh, anything that I'm not doing that you've asked me to do then show me my heart. And the way we do that, Cindy, is simply to say, Lord, um, um, I've got all these issues going on. Uh, how can I walk through them with you? And to be with Jesus, you've got to be committed to him. Uh, to empty yourself is simply to trust him by faith. You know, I've used this example, Cindy, many times. Paula prayed for me for 13 years. And I jokingly say to her, um, boy, if you'd prayed with the right motive, with the right heart, I could have got saved a lot sooner. But you see, what God was doing was preparing her. And in order for God to answer her prayers, Paul had to let God work in her heart, in her life. Well, that's the same thing that's true for every one of us, Cindy. We've got to go before the Lord, search our hearts, repent of any sin, and then offer our bodies as living sacrifice to the Lord. And that's what it means. And then the power of the Holy Spirit can come upon you, and, and trials are completely different. I think sometimes we're so focused on the trial or on the pain that we're experiencing in our lives that it causes us to sort of withdraw from the presence of the Lord. This doesn't mean we're not saved or anything, but we withdraw from the presence of the Lord instead of pushing in. And it's in those times when things are going um, hard for us. Uh, we don't feel like reading our Bible. We don't feel like serving other people. We don't feel like doing the things that we did when we first fell in love with Jesus. So that's what we need to do. We need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Leon. He says, um, I want to know why Pastor Ron told Christians not to listen to or read any books from Andrew Womack Ministries. Um, Leon, I don't have the specifics here uh, off the top of my head, but but I can tell you this. He is a false teacher, prosperity guy, and uh, there's just nothing of value. It's that simple. Um, it, 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 read your Bible, and if you do, you can't read Andrew Womack. Now, like all other false teachers, he will... Um, use Bible verses, but he misuses them. He abuses them. He takes them out of context. And he's always got an agenda, and his agenda is always Andrew Womack. It's that simple. So um, uh, those are books and teachings um, that, that just ought not to be read by Christians at all. False, false teaching. Here is a question from... Our mobile app, this one is from Jacob. He says, uh, without calling someone dumb, how do I explain to them that they can't change their gender? You know, Jacob, when I grew up, and I don't hear it much anymore, but they used to say there's only two things that are certain, death and taxes. Well, in our culture, we can appropriate that. Say there are three things that are certain, death, taxes, and our biological gender. It can't be changed. It's assigned to us at birth, and it doesn't change. And it has nothing to do with how we feel. It has nothing to do with what we want, what our preference is. It has everything to do with 
It is a fact. It is true. You can take hormones uh, and and uh, and become more masculine or more feminine. Uh, women can grow beards. Men uh, can can be effeminate. They can get breast implants. They can do all the things they want to do. But their DNA doesn't change. The truth is the truth. And there's no need to go beyond that. And it is unloving, Jacob, not to tell somebody who is in this conundrum. It's unloving not to tell them that chasing something that is impossible will only make their lives worse, more miserable, more painful, and the end will never be good. Now, that's hard in this culture that we live in because to attack the idea that uh, people can be whatever they want to be or, or, I mean, and for a lot of people now with all the, 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 the non-binary folks, you know, it changes from day to day. Well, today I'm a woman, tomorrow I'll feel like a man, that kind of thing. Um, um, you know, the world's going to jump all over you. So, Jacob, you've got to be ready for the pushback. And and the way we do that is to be absolutely convinced Jesus made us in his image. Genesis 1. In his image and in his likeness. This is a demonic attack, a satanic attack. I told you that in the first half of the program, we had a question about the, 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 the falling away or the attack on God's word. Um, I believe that God has permitted in this time that we live in a spirit of deception, a spirit of lies um, to uh, take a foothold and run rampant. And and that my first piece of evidence is this whole gender thing. I'm 71 years old and never in my lifetime until the very recent past... Never was it even thought possible. I heard on the news one of our Congress women um, who is who refuses to call um, a female a woman, and and she called them menstruating persons. And the world just says, "Well, that makes sense. It doesn't make any sense at all." So, Jacob, you don't want to call anyone dumb, but what you want to do is you want to tell them you're so lost, and I have what you're looking for. His name is Jesus Christ. He loved you. He died for your sins, and he will fill your heart with more joy than you can imagine. But you've got to come to him on his terms. And then you will be rejected more often than not, way more often than not. And uh, at that point, you... Just keep moving on. Don't argue. Don't debate. It's a dishonest debate. Everybody who thinks they can be whatever they want to be knows it's not true instinctively. And so what you do is you pray for them. That's all you can do, Jacob. God bless you for taking an interest. It is a very difficult ministry. And it is without any doubt at all uh, a ministry that um, we're going to see a lot more of. Here's a question from Jessica from our email inbox. Uh, she says, I'm in college and live on campus. I think that my roommate is living an LGBTQ lifestyle. How can I talk to her? Jessica, first of all, don't talk to her about the lifestyle. Just just ask her and tell her, I'm a Christian. And, and please uh, keep the sexual immorality away from me. Uh, I would say the same thing if she was bringing her boyfriend into your room. Please um, respect that I, I share your space and um, uh, keep the sexual immorality away from me. Um, but then tell her about Jesus. Don't talk to her about the LGBTQ lifestyle. She lives in an environment there where she's being um, um, applauded for making those choices. Um, tell her about Jesus. Show her who Jesus is. Be filled with joy. Don't be disgusted by her. Don't have any expectations. Um, don't turn your lip up at her lifestyle. Simply let her know that there are better options available and let her see your consistency and your steady love and your patience with her. Um, at the same time, don't let her try to force you to cross the line and accepting um, her immorality in your room. And certainly, 
don't get into conversations uh, where they're going to try to convince you that this lifestyle is okay. That can make your life difficult because on a college campus, believe me, you are in the minority. So, Jessica, I think sometimes we get so focused on behavior um, that all we need to do is tell them about Jesus. And then they have to make a choice. They have to make a choice. We've had a couple of kids go away from um, here um, before their senior year. Uh, on these college campuses, uh, there's some very elite programs out there that if you're chosen for, um, you go live in a dorm for a while and you, uh, they're leadership type programs, things like that. And uh, both kids, they, they came home and it was like, wow, my eyes are really open. That's the way the world is out there. And, uh, you know, if you're really following Jesus, you're kind of sheltered. We know these things exist. But when they were living in it, it was a real eye-opener, and they all come back even more committed to following Jesus because people are so very, very lost. And, Jessica, all you can do is be a light. So pray for her consistently. Don't stop. You stand with and for Jesus, and you be the one who influences her rather than being influenced by her. Bad company corrupts good character, Paul says. And we have to be careful. Uh, it's it's just too easy if we're if we're immersed in, in an environment where those kind of things go on. Um, we find ourselves sort of being desensitized to it. So you can be a casual friend, um, be available to her for help, but give Jesus the glory for all that you're doing in or he's doing in your life continually. And just as she's proud of her lifestyle, you can be equally proud of yours. It's interesting that, you know, they can talk about all of their sin, but when we start talking about Jesus, they, no, I don't want to hear about that. Well, well, I don't want to hear about your lifestyle either, but I keep hearing about that. I'm going to be at least as bold talking about the one who loves me and who saved my soul as you are talking about a lifestyle that is foreign to what the Bible says is good with God. Hard things, Jessica. I'm so sorry you're going through that. But, boy, I'll tell you, we got to prepare our kids for university. We've got to prepare them every year here at our school. And, by the way, I would appreciate your prayers. Our new school year, um, um, our new school year um, starts on Monday with every new senior class, every new senior class. My heart just breaks because I know that they're either going into the work world, they're going into the military, or most of them are going into university. And I know exactly what they're going into. And our job is to prepare them for it. And believe me, um, the, the only way you can prepare for that is to be grounded in the Word. Having made that decision once forever, that Jesus is your God and His Word is what you're going to follow. So I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a an anonymous question that was called into the studio. Um, he said he would like Pastor Ron to explain 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. Let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, for it this is just Paul's farewell. Okay, he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be under a curse. Come, O Lord. This is just a uh, a farewell that um, is, um, uh, he hopes, an exhortation to the Corinthians to be out actively sharing their faith. And here's what he's saying. If they don't love the Lord, there is a curse on them. In fact, that's just a statement of fact. In Greek, it's a cause and effect. So it's not that Paul is cursing somebody. They're under the curse of death. And, uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has talked about uh, the rapture of the church. He's talked about um, the transformation of our bodies. And the result is he signs off uh, in this letter to the Corinthians. The result is that if they don't love the Lord, they are, it's a matter of fact, they are under a curse. So he's not cursing them. They're just literally already under a curse. You know, Jesus said, that we were born cursed when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Uh, we're all condemned already at birth. We are, we're sinners. 
from the very beginning. I was um, listening to a, a, a psychologist on the radio. Sometimes when I can't sleep, I'll turn on Christian radio. And a uh, psychologist said, you know, um, psychologists have proven that by the age of four, children have mastered lying. We don't have to teach them to lie. You know, you don't have to teach a bird to fly. You don't have to teach a duck to quack, a fish to swim. It's just who they are. Well, humans, we're sinners, and we sin. And we are all living under a curse. That's why the New Covenant, uh, Anonymous, that's why the New Covenant is so valuable for us. This is the cup of the New Covenant written in my blood. And in so saying, we're told that he canceled the Old Covenant that opposed us. And we walked into a covenant called grace, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. Thank you for the question. Appreciate it very, very much. Here is my next question. This one comes from Annette. Why would Jesus turn water into alcohol when it's so bad for you? Annette, you can't apply a 2,000-year-old story into the situation we live in in 2022. You just can't. Understand, and this is why we need to be workmen, workwomen, rightly dividing the word of God. Um, water quality was bad. People were sick. And wine was a staple of the diet, not to get drunk, but just as uh, 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 something to drink with meals. Uh, Paul told Timothy, because of the stomach problems that he has, drink some wine. Uh, the water was bad. It's you know I go to a sparklings bottle and fill up my 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 big bottle. Uh, they didn't have that luxury in in the ancient world, and so they had all kinds of problems with water. Jesus turned water into wine because it was a wedding, and in that culture, wine was appropriate. You know I tried marriage counseling. I tell them, I don't want to be at a wedding where, you, where there's going to be alcohol. I want to invite Jesus to be the best of honor uh, at the wedding. So I can't say, well, Jesus is the guest of honor at the wedding, but we haven't invited him to the reception. And so I prefer always not to do weddings where people are going to drink. And I think with Christians, that is a reasonable request to make. Um, um, and in those few instances where people haven't quite been honest with me, and usually it's because of family members, parents in particular, um, um, I, I just excuse myself. Thank you for the privilege of doing your wedding. I'll be going now. And that's what they do. So, so the wine wasn't like the wine we have now. The alcohol content wasn't nearly as strong. It was just part of the culture, and it was... Uh, out of necessity because the water was bad. And yet we miss the whole point of that passage of Scripture if we focus on the alcohol. That wasn't what it was about. Now, I've never, uh, this is, people don't like, believe when I say this, I've never had a drink of alcohol. Uh, I, I actually took a drink uh, and spit it out. It was so foul to my to the taste. So I've never actually had a drink of alcohol. Uh, I can't understand why anybody would want it, but you know what I'm betting? I'm betting the alcohol Jesus made, the wine Jesus made, was really, really good. So he did it because it was time to start his ministry, and what a an appropriate venue, a wedding where everybody's happy, everybody's rejoicing, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a picture of our relationship with Christ and the, the the human marriage is the the most complete picture of the intimacy God wants to have with each and every one of us. So this was just sort of the kickoff or the inauguration of his ministry. And uh, he did remember what his father told him to do. I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. So um, if you problems with the wine, then you got to take that up with God the Father and God the Son. Thanks, Annette. This will be my last question for the week. Rhonda, she says, Pastor Ron, how should I understand the idea of Christ in us? Is it the Holy Spirit or Jesus? Rhonda, the answer is yes. It's it's the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Uh, here's, this is the hard thing. It's, it's not people when we... 
Jesus is in my heart. There's not a little tiny Jesus running around in our heart. So he's not in our heart in physicality. But he's in our heart relationally. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What it means is that we now have access not just to God, but access to the power of God. The idea of Christ in us, Jesus said, it's good for you that I go away. Now, his disciples didn't believe him. He said that. Because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. Literally, Greeks often another me, he said. The great olives for another it means one of exactly the same substance but different, different in physicality. Jesus was saying, Look, you won't have me with you physically like I've been with you for these three and a half years. I will still be in you in person, the Holy Spirit. Now, his disciple didn't understand that either until the cost, but he was simply saying, I will be with you even end of the age, and he's with the person of the Spirit, but remember, Jesus Father and the Holy Spirit are one, and in the person of the Holy Spirit, it's Christ in us, the Holy Lord. That shouldn't be confusing to anyone, Ron, in the sense that, that Jesus obviously can't be around physically, because he's now seated at the right hand of his Father in Heaven. But he is in us, in his fullness. That's what Colossians talks about. The fullness of the deity. The Godhead in in all of its glory lives within us. So, Rhonda, I hope that helps. Hey, thank you for tuning in. We are about finished. Uh, Remember, Kevin Green is going to be with us. The one who's doing the song in the background on Sunday. Uh, tonight I'll be teaching First Thessalonians, talking about the rapture. I'll see you on Monday, Lord willing. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.